So we will be in Genesis 31 this morning. Pastor John Nicholas will pick up in verse 1 and go through verse 21 of this account. Genesis chapter 31, it's in the beginning, verses 1 through 21, the word reads like this. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your father's and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was, and he said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the the flock bore striped. Thus, God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and molted. Then the angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and molted, for I have seen that Laban, I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise and go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all of his livestock, all of his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Paddan Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had, and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. This is the word of the Lord. In 1813, Anne Donriam Judson sailed to Burma 
from the shores of America with his wife, Anne. He was 24. His wife, Anne, was 23. They spent their lives for the glory of Christ among unreached peoples. Before they married, Judson wrote a letter to Anne's father asking for his blessing in marriage. This is what he wrote in the letter. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to see her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life. Whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory, with a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathens saved, through her means, from eternal woe and despair? Soon after accepting Judson's proposal of marriage and the life of a missionary, Anne wrote to a friend where she said the following. I feel willing and expect, if nothing in providence prevents, to spend my days in this world in heathen lands. Yes, Lydia, I have about come to the determination to give up all my comforts and enjoyments here, sacrifice my affection to relatives and friends, and go where God in his providence shall see fit to place me. Anne became sick and died only a few years into their ministry. Judson spent 38 years there until his death in, at the age of 61. Judson organized and published the Burmese Dictionary. Judson translated the Bible into the Burmese language. Judson wrote gospel tracts and distributed tens of thousands in the first six years before seeing his first convert. Judson preached the gospel faithfully. Judson, along with his wife, Anne, demonstrated what it was like to deny yourself take up your cross daily, and to follow Christ. I give these words to you. They struck me this morning as I was finishing up the final preparation of my text, and I couldn't help but think about this journey that Jacob had to the land of Padan Aram, and now will be taking backwards to the land of Canaan. We can find in Jacob's story, we find that his salvation is secured through the wicked envy of his father and his brothers-in-law. The wicked envy that they have, the desperation that they have, nonetheless, God secures the salvation through the evil of men. Through studying these passages, we understand how God's promises are also secured through a sinful world and how we are held in the cross of Christ, the cross to which he was nailed to by sinful and evil men. You could just put a tiny little banner over top of this and we can say that God's ways are not our ways. What God desires and the way he brings about the salvation of men is not the way I would choose to do it. Mine would be a lot more comfortable, 
a lot easier, less painful, no persecution. You know, my only desire would be that I don't have a sore back when I'm done. That is not the way God does it. So when we look at these passages, we keep some of those things in mind, which I will remind you about. The first section of this, I have it divided into four sections of Scripture that we, we will take apart and we'll look at and we'll see how God is acting in these. We can say that here uh, in verses 1 through 3 would be uh, the call to the return to his father's land. Jacob's return to his father's land. Because Jacob here has heard Laban's sons saying he has taken away all that belonged to our father. From what belonged to our father, he has made all this wealth. This is, they are now seeing, uh, they're seeing Jacob almost like piracy. That he has taken away what has belonged to them. Now we know that's not true. But we also see that they do not see God's hand in any of this. What they see is Jacob manipulating the situation to take these things away. They forget that their father manipulated everything to keep him there. They, it is interesting that the term for wealth here uh, in the Hebrew can be translated as glory. In the Septuagint, it is translated as they've taken our father's glory. The Greek word doxa is used in there. It's kabod in, uh, in Hebrew. And then even in the Latin translation, it is also translated as they have taken, or he has made away with our father's glory. That they see that this is more to them than just taking away things and material things. It is almost like it is an embarrassment to their father Laban that he has done something deeply harmful to them as a family, that he has harmed them to the core of their being by, or just through God giving him speckled and striped goats. They don't see the Lord's work happening here. They don't understand what is going on. And they are now, after 20 years, turning on their brother-in-law. Now, I want you to rest with that for a second. They are up in Mesopotamia, part of the Fertile Crescent. Right? We would see that, there is, uh, that, that it isn't so much an arid land as it is, as it is, it is more in tune for, uh, for, for the flocks where they're at or right at the edge of where they're at. We would understand as this family unit that is Laban's, where he has gone. Don't forget, Jacob was only meant to sojourn there. We also remember that his brother Esau wants to kill him. That he was to go there to find a wife. But we have this picture that they are all together as, for at least a period of time, one big happy family. The flocks are growing. The two daughters are married off, especially the one with the weak eyes, who is not, he was afraid would not find a, find a spouse. They would have had many celebrations together. They would have eaten countless meals together. 
Think about all the years of the, of the, the shearing before the lambing that would have come, that they would have done this with Laban's flocks. A constant in around and being with one another. And now when Jacob has asked to return to take the wages what he had, what he wants, and Laban has tried to manipulate the situation so that he would get very little, yet God has seen that Jacob would get much, his brothers-in-law have turned on him. They have seen it as an absolute attack on the honor of their father. In verse 2, and Jacob saw the face of Laban, his father-in-law, the father of his two wives, the father that is now a grandfather. And behold, it was not friendly toward him as it formerly had been. The tables have turned. The happy, joyful family relationship is gone. Uh, we can see and feel the contention that is growing. We, if we were watching this as a movie, we could see that, it is, that, that the narrative is pushing towards an event, right? That the tables have turned, that everything that seemed to be going well, look, I've got, my, I got the ghost that I wanted, so forth and so on, but you can see that he is being, Jacob is being pushed out of the land. We don't want to miss that, Remember, God stands as sovereign and stands above all this, that perhaps, like many of us, we can stay in a somewhat uncomfortable situation for a long period of time because we tend to be, we tend to like what we like, we tend to stay where we just know what's going on, even if it's bad. We don't like change, but you can see that God's hand is over this and is pushing, that the, that the situation is changing that he is being pushed out of this land, out of Mesopotamia, pushed back towards Canaan. God's hand is in all of this. God's hand is in it, even as formerly loved family members are turning against him. Verse three, then the Lord said, Yahweh said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kin, and I will be with you. Go back to where you came from. Now is the time, 20 years in the future from when he was sent, his mother is gone. Remember the mother who sent him away, who said, you must go to my brother? Remember, we're not going to have a wife out of the land of Canaan. We're going to send you back to where there is at least family that we know of. We're going to go send you back there, but he would never see his mother who manipulated the situation too. Now is the time to go back to Canaan. Now is the time to go back to your father. Isaac is waiting for you. Psalm 91. Psalm 91. Fourteen through sixteen, because he has loved me, therefore I will protect him. 
I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. And I would pause right there. We know this to be true to be found in Christ. That we are secure. But how often do we need to be reminded of it? Because there are times, even as a Christ follower, we do not feel very secure. Hence, we need the repetition of Scripture to look at it, to remind us what God's Word says. Verse 15, He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in his distress. I will rescue him and honor him. With a long life, I will satisfy him, and I will show him my salvation. Certainly words that Jacob would believe. Certainly words that speaking so many years forward in the Psalms, but he would believe these. He would believe the Lord as his shepherd too. Acts chapter 2. If you flip forward a little bit there. And we would say to ourselves, so if he has, if we see this, 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 this event where, where all those who had previously loved him are turning against him, and God is taking him out of that situation, driving him back to the land of the promise, I couldn't help but think about Acts chapter 2, verse 23, what happens with Christ himself. He said, this man, Jesus, delivered over, how about this, by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of lawless men and put him to death. God's plan of salvation is different than our plan of salvation. I cannot stress that enough. Yet what we see is this, that red thread of redemption that runs from the beginning of the Bible to the end, and we see how this whole thing with Jacob as a patriarch lands in here, God working through difficult situations to bring about his plan of redemption, which included the nailing of his own son to a cross for our salvation. And we see it the whole way back in Mesopotamia in a trip to Canaan. So now, what is Jacob going to do? So I must leave, but I have wives. Two. It does no good for two people that are married to be on different missions. It is good to be on the same mission together. So what does a good husband do? He needs to explain what is happening and why it is happening. He needs to explain his position, how the Lord has spoken to him, and telling them what needs to happen here to make sure we're, we're in unity, to make sure that we are on the same mission of God, to be a good husband. He tells them, and this is the second part of this, verses four through nine, Jacob's plea for unity, as we would call it. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to his flock in the field. Hey, by the way, I know you're in the tents, probably sent a servant back. Hey, could you bring them out here? We don't know why exactly he didn't go in, but he brought them out to the flock. 
can you send, can you bring my wives out? Can you send them back? Can you just bring them with, just bring them out here. I need to talk to them. And it says in verse five, and he said to them, I see your father's face that it is not friendly toward me as formerly. It is in, in the original language, it's like his face is no longer turned towards me. We could see this idea that Laban's face is being set against, fully turned away from Jacob. He says, I see that your father, that father you love, the one who raised you, I see that he is turned away from me, that he is no longer friendly toward me. But even though this is the case, those ones I formerly lived with, those ones I formerly served, even though this is the case, the God of my father, Yahweh, the God of my father, has been with me. And we could add to the end of that, he has been with me always. Yet, oh, excuse me, verse six, you also know that I have served your father with all my power. Even in an un, in, even in a situation that is not wholly profitable for him, Remember, I'll serve, not only did he get the wife that he didn't want, but then he agreed to serve another seven years. He served seven years for the wife that he didn't want that was given under deception. Then he gets the wife he wants, but has to serve another seven years. So that's 14 years right there. Okay, we're at a total of 20 years now, six years past that event, right? Even though you know that I have served your father with all my power. You are my wives. You have seen what I've done. You've seen how I've labored in the field. You've seen how I've been a good servant to your father. Yet, verse 7, your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times. However, God did not allow him to harm me. God working through the evilness and envy of men for his promise Right, So we have that right there. He says, look, I've seen God through this. I've put the striped rods up. I've seen the vision of what is going to happen. Even though Laban has manipulated the situation so he wouldn't get anything, God has seen into the innermost being of those of the goats. Right? What God, what we, what Jacob could not see outwardly, God saw inwardly. God worked through that. God did not allow him to harm me. Verse 8, if he spoke thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flock were speckled. And if he spoke thus, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has delivered your father's livestock and given them to me. Thus God has delivered your father's livestock and given them to me. It is an amazing uh, set of passages that Jacob is recognizing the work of the Lord and how the Lord is working through this situation, how the Lord is working even when he can't quite see what is happening. After the fact, he is seeing the revelation of the Lord, of what the Lord has done. 
but he is putting his trust in the Lord and what the Lord is, is working at and what he's doing. He's telling his wives, just, I know you've seen this. I want to remind you, the Lord has now told me to leave. I want you I want to see how the Lord has been with me so far. The Lord will continue to be with me. The Lord's promises are true. Psalm 131. Psalm 131.1, O Yahweh, O Lord, my heart is not exalted and my eyes are not raised high and I do not involve myself in great matters or in matters too marvelous for me. Surely I have soothed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, wait for the Lord, wait for Yahweh from now until forever. Learning to trust in God and what he is doing, learning to be that servant of the Lord, remember he doesn't have the book. And remember that this particular book is given to the nation of Israel after they've been brought out of slavery, after 400 years of servitude. Think about this for a second. Through 400 years of slavery, the Lord was with them. Just contemplate that for a second. Or a minute. Or an hour. He was with them then. When they are reading this, this reading this text, Jacob, who will become Israel, had the name change. The Lord was with him. And his flocks driven out of this land. Oh, hold on a second. We were driven out of the land of Israel, uh, land of Egypt. Uh, he's he's driven out of a place where he's working for wages that he's not getting, and the same they would be driven out of Egypt themselves. Leave, go. We can see the parallels in small uh, in small uh, small portions of the text is what is happening here, uh, for what they're hearing. It also brings into mind. Uh, Second uh, Corinthians thirteen, Second Corinthians thirteen eleven. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Be restored. Be comforted. Be like-minded. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Jacob said, the Lord was with me. The Lord will continue to be with me. We must go on this journey. So now we come into the third section. A reminder, God's command, verses 10 through 13, now it happened at the time when the flock was, were mating that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the male goats which were mating were striped and speckled and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. 
He said, lift up now your eyes and see that all the male goats which are mating are striped, speckled, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I, now this angel of the Lord he saw, is now revealed to be God himself. I am the God of Bethel. I am the God of Bethel. Uh, This is a reminder that brings back something to Jacob. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise and leave leave this land and return to the land of your kin, the land of your father. He is reminded of Genesis chapter 28. If you just flip back in your scripture for a moment, Genesis chapter 28. Remember, this is after Jacob's ladder when he saw the work of the Lord on the earth, when he saw the angels ascending and descending, when he had that vision, when he had laid his head upon that rock, when he was alone in the wilderness and the Lord said, I am with you, I am with you always, and here God himself is reminding him how often do we need to be reminded? We must, uh, we are, uh, there is a constant in the Old Testament of the Hebrew word zakar, which means remember, 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 remember. They are constantly putting up pillars to remember, in altars to remember, remember these things. We must have repetition and remembrance of what God has done, too. And God right here, just a mere couple pages later, is reminding him of this event that occurred when he saw the ladder to heaven. And in verse, chapter 28, verse 19, and he called the place Bethel, Bethel, meaning house of God. However, previously the name of the city had been Luz. Then Jacob in 20 made a vow saying, if God will be with me, and will keep me on his journey on which I am going. I will give and will give me food to eat and garments to wear. And I return to my father's house in peace. Then Yahweh, then the Lord will be my God. Now this stone which I set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. We understand too, remember he does not have the full orb of scripture that we have. We do not want to be confused that there is some form of, uh, if you do this, then I will believe you in the, that we see here, right? But remember, he doesn't have the remembrance of Scripture. He has an encounter. He is working with what he knows. Now, what we know is that God is with us. We have the Scripture to remind us. Jacob is literally living these things as they occur. He's not reading about how they occurred. He is literally living in the moment when this happens, right? He has had the encounter with the living God, and he said, oh, if this is, I, 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 I need to trust in the Lord. This is the best I can do to trust. I'm setting, I'm erecting this pillar. This is Bethel. This is the house of God. This is, this is in remembrance, right? It's akin to, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. And here in chapter 31, the, the, the Lord is reminding him of that. Just remember, I said I would be with you. I will be with you. You even set up a pillar. You called it the house of God to remind you of this thing. 
Proverbs 1? You guys know it well? I'm certain. You've heard it often in your lives. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Ignorant fools despise wisdom and discipline. It's the fear of the Lord that's where our knowledge comes from. That's where our understanding comes from. That's where we, uh, we recognize right relationship between us and God. And the things that are being revealed to Jacob, imagine this, the whole thing with the, with the goats. Reading correctly, things happening that he cannot see but God using that situation to show who he is, to show that he is with him. He is telling his wives, the Lord is with me. I have seen it played out. That even in difficult circumstances, difficult situations, difficult people, that the Lord is my salvation. Through ways in which I wouldn't do it, the Lord is doing it. And the Lord will be 100% successful. So the last section then that I have is verses 14 through 21. And I just have this titled, Away, with an exclamation point. 14 through 21, then Rachel and Leah said to him, Do we still have any portion of, uh, or inheritance in our father's house? Are we not counted by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and has also entirely consumed our purchase price. Surely all the riches which God has delivered over to us from our Father belong to us and our children. Now then, do whatever God has said to you. In other words, when they are saying this, do we have any portion of inheritance? So the idea was this. Jake, Jacob paid the bride price through his labor for Laban. The 14 years total. The idea is that Laban would set aside money for his daughters or set aside wealth for his daughters in case something would happen to Jacob that they would be provided for. What they're saying is that he, Laban, has consumed all that with no concern for their well-being. They are, for all intents and purposes, free and clear of their father is what they're saying. We are no longer beholden to our Father for anything. All has been taken away. Even that thing that would normally would have been provided is gone. There is no inheritance or a portion of our Father's wealth for us. There is nothing. Surely, verse 16, they are seeing the Lord's work. Surely, absolutely, without a doubt, all the riches which God has delivered over to us from our Father through the work of the goats, through the striped poles, through the speckled and spotted and mottled, all that he has done, all that the Lord has given us from his herds, who has given us the strong flocks, belong to us and our children. Now then, do whatever God has said to you. In other words, we are now in unity of mission. 
The wives are fully engaged in this. The wives see what's going on. They understand. They understand what must be done. Even as her family turns against them, even as, their family, as her family has set their face against them, they're going to the land of the promise. They're going to the land of salvation. All because of God's sovereignty, God's purview, God's desires, God's ultimate plan of redemption, all because of the fulfillment of the Proto-Evangelion of Genesis 3.15, that I will crush the head of the serpent through the seed of the woman. Then, verse 17, then Jacob arose and put his children and his wives upon camels. And he drove away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had accumulated. He acquired livestock which he had accumulated in Padanaram in order to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. As a good narrator that Moses is, is recording these words of the Lord down, he's just setting this place. He said all these things that he acquired uh, while he was there. This is what he has. He's not going back empty-handed. He's taking what the Lord has given to him. And then in verse 19, now Laban had gone to shear his flock. And we would pause right there for a second so we know what time of year it is. It is the spring. It is, the shearing would occur just before the lambing time when the baby lambs would be born. There's a reason for this. Animal husbandry was well understood even so many thousands of years ago that they would shear the flock, which would be a giant job for these large flocks, which means that Laban would have been far away. We even saw that how many days away that he had taken his flock to prevent the intermingling, that they would do it in the spring before the lambs were born because, for a couple of different reasons, it would create or allow the lambs themselves to survive better because with the, with the, with the, uh, the wool would tend to hold pathogens and whatnot to the lambs or to the sheep. So the sheep would be strong, be able to resist those, but the lambs would not. So shearing the sheep, taking them down close would prevent the pathogens from being there. And it would also create wool that was better. Before the, before the sheep would enter into the last, uh, last times of birth, uh, that even they would recognize this when, when it comes down towards the time of the birthing, that their metabolism would change. And what would happen is, the closer it got to the birth, the, the wool itself would become weak. It would become brittle. It would become less valuable. So they hit it at the right time, at the peak, when they shear it, so that's what he's off doing. So we know that this is in the springtime when he's leaving Mesopotamia to head back to Canaan. And then it says right there in part B of verse 19, then Rachel stole the household idols that were her father's. Now, this is, you know, what do we do with this? What are these household items, idols? So it's obvious that he certainly wasn't a full worshiper of Yahweh. Uh, these household items would tend to be small, probably like a, probably about the size, and we, we know here because uh, we will find out later on in the, in the next verses, 22 uh, previous next weeks or so, that she was able to hide them in the saddlebags of the camel. Right? Probably about the, so about the size of a Yeti maybe, or like a two-liter soda bottle. 
these household gods would give uh, protection. They would they were seen as giving protection, wealth, uh, you know, just all, all sorts of things that people just do these attachments to for idols. But she took them, removing something from his house that was important to him. We don't know the full, the full reason why she did this, but she did it. And it's given to us. And it will come back up again later on. But she takes these idols. In verse 20 it says, And Jacob deceived Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he was fleeing. So he fled with all that he had, and he arose and crossed the river, that would be the Euphrates, and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. Psalm 68. Psalm 68, verse 20. God is to us a God of salvation. God is our only way to salvation through his son, Christ Jesus. And to Yahweh, the Lord, belong, and to Yahweh, the Lord, belong, escapes from death. To those who belong to the Lord, escape from death. He is fully going off 20 plus years. He knows he was only supposed to sojourn there, but I'm, I will... I will propose to you, if you've lived 20 years in a place, you're pretty established. It's all you know. It, it, it is your life. It is all that you know. You know where the convenience store is at. You know where the, the, the camel saddle makers live. Right? You know where the wells are located at. You know what you're doing tomorrow. There's a certain comfort in being that. Yet he was time to leave in God's purview. The situation was changing, and God drove him out of that land. So we could say then, if we find that Jacob's salvation is secured through the wicked envy of his father and brothers-in-law, that, that God uses that, and that through studying these verses, we can understand how God's promises are seen through the sinful world and the sinful actions of sinful people, we could see then that the difficulties with his own family is what God was using to drive him to the land of the promise. We could understand that Jacob's, maybe not was Jacob's plan. Jacob's plan was to, initially, to stay in Canaan, to follow the manipulation that his mother put in place, to steal Esau's blessing, to maybe have his brother actually serve him there at that time, to have little distress and, and to just, we, I stole the blessing, everything's good, everybody loves me. Look, I stole the blessing, but can't take it back. And just to live a life there in Canaan. But that wasn't God's plan. God's plan was to drive him 500 miles away, to live as a servant under a father-in-law, to have a wife that he didn't desire, and then to finally have to get it to work for a wife that he did desire, to live there for an extended period of time, and then to have that whole family turn against him to drive him back to the land of the promise rather than just keeping him there to begin with. God's ways are not our ways. 
God's ways are not our ways. So we can think about a couple different passages here as we come to a close. Uh, Lamentations chapter 3. Familiar to all of you, I'm certain. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22. That even in these situations, even in these things that we don't particularly care for, the loving kindness of Yahweh indeed never ceases. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your, great is the Lord's faithfulness. Which leads me to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So even in our faithlessness, found in Christ Jesus, found in Christ Jesus in our own weakness, found in Christ Jesus when we need to seemingly cry out every hour, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief. But he is faithful. He will not lose one that... Jesus will not lose one that the Father has given him, and the Father will not lose one. Even in our faithlessness, Jesus saves. And so when we look at the story of Jacob, and we try to understand goats and sheep and pillars that are risen in the desert and sleeping on rocks and seeing ladders from heaven to earth, what we see is a faithful God. What we see is a God who saves completely. What we see is a God who brings about his plan of redemption through unlikely and unbelievable circumstances. A God who does things that we cannot fathom, and he does them perfectly so that salvation comes through Christ Jesus. I would ask you today that... that if you trust in Jesus, to put more and more of your trust in him, to remind yourself what's in the scripture. And if you don't believe in Jesus today, I would ask you, I would tell you the time is to come now. The time is to see how God has worked through Jacob himself, how God has been there all along, and how God continues to be there, and how God works through the sinfulness of men to nail his son to the cross for our salvation. And to trust in that finished work that he has risen again. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He intercedes for all those who believe. And that we are fully and completely saved in him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this scripture. Thank you for allowing us to understand your word. Help us to dive deeper into your word. To, uh, to write it on our hearts or rather that you would write it on our hearts, that we would remember all the work that you have done and the work that you continue to do to secure all those who believe. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.